I'm JG Michael, and this is Parallax Views. Hello, this is Mike Swanson. In a few moments, you're going to listen to another segment of Parallax Views. But before you do that, let me tell you about my new book, Why the Vietnam War. It's a sequel to my previous book called The War State, which has lots of positive reviews and Amazon's been out for years. But this one is a more detailed case study of how American Empire National Security State operate using Vietnam. And I believe it shows also how things work today, how policy is actually made and why. So grab the book on Amazon.com, Why the Vietnam War. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. On this edition of the program, we're going to be delving into the long-standing relationship between Hollywood and the Pentagon. You see, this topic has received renewed attention as of late, thanks to the latest Marvel Studios box office blockbuster, The Eternals, which, in case you're unaware, has received criticism for a scene referencing the bombing of Hiroshima in World War II. This, in turn, has led some to comment on the relationship between Marvel Studios and the military, particularly its collaborations with the Pentagon on films like Iron Man and Captain Marvel. But of course, Marvel isn't the only player in Tinseltown that has collaborated with the Pentagon. As previously stated, there is, in fact, a long-standing history of this kind of thing in Hollywood. And some argue that it generates pro-war biases and propaganda in popular culture. Joining us to unpack this fascinating subject is... David Sevilla, who recently penned a piece on this issue for the Quincy Institute's Responsible Statecraft publication entitled, New Marvel Film Puts Spotlight on Hollywood's Military Ties. Now, just so you know, this conversation really isn't about the Eternals. Instead, we use that movie as a launching point for a broader conversation about the history of the Pentagon's involvement in Hollywood. So with that in mind, let's get right to the conversation with David Sevilla. Hey Parallax News listeners, before we continue the show, I've got a movie that I want to tell you about. Check out the film Tremel by Christopher Jason Bell, available on the Slam Dance YouTube channel. The film follows Dale as he lives a solitary life in a small town, his only outlet being conversations with the local pharmacist, Muhammad. As time passes, Dale slowly begins to reveal more of his life and history to Muhammad. Lauded for its empathy, Tremel highlights the forgotten community member in a time when there is no community, and examines what happens when someone's only human connection is a service worker. You can watch over at slamdance.com slash watch slash tremel or at youtube.com slash slamdance. Check it out, folks. 
Welcome to Parallax Views, David Sevilla of Responsible Statecraft. Hopefully I didn't botch the name too hard there. <laughs> That's good enough. It's a good enough. Thank you very much. It's great to, have, uh, great to be here. So I want to talk about your article in Responsible Statecraft on Hollywood and the Pentagon, I would say. And you deal with that through the big box office hit uh, the Eternals, which apparently has already raked in over $200 uh, million, uh, made on a $200 million budget, so already making its money back. But before we get into all of that, uh, maybe you could tell my listeners a little bit about yourself. I know you're doing work on um, protest movements in the Soviet Union, and a lot of my listeners would be interested in hearing a little bit about that and uh, anything else that you do. Right. Well, so I'm a, I'm a reporter. I'm a part-time reporter for Responsible Statecraft, where I mostly cover U.S. foreign policy uh, from a non-interventionist perspective. Uh, but, you know, in my, in my free time, quote-unquote, I'm also a student, a graduate student at the University of Oxford, which is where I specialize in uh, protests and political movements. Um, you know, I have a bunch of journalistic projects coming up. I have a project with National Geographic Society, which I'm wrapping up about, uh, uh, you know, politics and uh, indigenous rights in uh, Russian Siberia. And I also have a future project coming up in that's going to be sort of set in between Alaska and uh, Chukotka, which is a far, uh, far northern Russian region. Uh, but, you know, more in relation to, to the article that I wrote, uh, I also lived in LA for several years where I worked in the film industry as a, as a teenager. And so my, you know, sort of the beginning of my career in media started with, uh, with filmmaking, with, uh, with films. And that's how I got interested in Hollywood and especially in Hollywood's influence on, uh, on politics. So what led you to write uh, this article on uh, Hollywood and the Eternals. What, what's the big deal about the Eternals? Why is it uh, shining a spotlight, I guess, on this issue of uh, military propaganda in movies? Right. So <laughs> the Eternals does not matter. I'm sorry if I, 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 I if I offend any Marvel fans in the audience here, but the Eternals do not, like the, the movie itself really doesn't matter to me. I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't plan on seeing it. What caught my eye was really, so there is this, this, this scene in the Eternals because for whatever reason, and this is this very weird trend in, in Hollywood recently, and just in general, you know, they take a, a real life tragedy or some very controversial issue, and then they turn it into, you know, prop piece for their, uh, you know, ridiculous, uh, ridiculous, you know, comic book superheroes matchup, whatever. Um, and so in the Eternals, what, what really pissed people off is you have this uh, Hiroshima, uh, Hiroshima scene where the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki just happened. And one of the Eternals who the uh, a gay black man, if I remember correctly, Fastos. Uh, he's sort of standing next to the ruins of Hiroshima and is yelling, what have I done? <laughs> this sort of, I guess, ridiculous approach to, um, to a very real life tragedy, uh, that, that kind of pissed people off on Twitter. And, and then, uh, when, well, you know, the critics and podcasters and so on and so forth, they started talking about it. Um, 
you know, why do you make a gay black man responsible or taking responsibility for, uh, you know, an American war crime that probably no black black gay people were involved with? Um, but, you know, besides, you know, beyond that point, people sort of remember that, hey, you know, Marvel has this super problematic relationship with the Pentagon. And uh, that kind of, you know, that, that put this whole thing in, in the spotlight because people don't really talk about the, uh, the weird, the, the sort of weird parasitic relationship that Pentagon has with, the, uh, with Hollywood, with film industry in the United States. Um, and that kind of, you know, that discussion on, on Marvel and the Pentagon, I kind of put it in the spotlight a little bit. And so that's what I really uncover in my article. It's the, the toxic parasitic relationship uh, between uh, uh, the, the military and uh, Hollywood. Yeah, and I was going to say, I mean, as you've pointed out there, I don't think this is the first movie where, you know, a minority of voices have said, hey, there's something weird about how they portray the military uh, in these movies. You know, I think Captain Marvel uh, got a lot of criticism for that. Um, and it's not just Marvel movies, though. I mean, you look at these movies like uh, when I was, you know, uh, a teenager in college, uh, the Transformers movies that Michael Bay made were pretty big. And they definitely have sort of a, you know, very uh, pro rara U.S. military vibe to them. So it seems like a bigger thing than just Marvel Studios movies. Um, what really is the relationship, though, for people that are unfamiliar between Hollywood and the Pentagon? Right. So I kind of want to pick up on something that, that you just said. And, uh, you know, you mentioned that these are the movies that you've seen as a teenager. So that's really the key between, between this relationship, right? Because... You know, we're going to go more into detail on how exactly this collaboration functions, right? That this relationship functions. But what you got to keep in mind here, right, is that the relationship centers around recruitment. So the United States military needs a lot of young blood, needs a lot of young people to come in and fight, you know, the endless wars, you know, in God knows where and God knows why, right? The, the, the numbers, they're numbers, if I remember the statistics correctly, they're dwindling. They're kind of slowly, slowly going down through the percentage of Americans that actually serve the U.S. military. And the military, you know, they're using all sorts of leverage to get people in and especially to get young people in, right? Because that's, that's where you, that, that's the kind of people they need. And, you know, everything from free college to uh, basically pushing propaganda on American citizens, pushing propaganda through Hollywood uh, to tell teenagers, uh, you know, hey, this, this military thing, you know, it's pretty great. It's pretty great to, you know, go around and then blow people up. It's, it's amazing, great stuff. And so that's why, you know, where stuff like Transformers comes in, where the military is portrayed as this sort of beautiful, uh, you know, this, this, this kind of amazing, well-oiled machine that you can be a part of and, you know, going to really cool stuff, really cool things. Um, and, 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 and let me, let me just talk a little bit about how the relationship actually functions. So we have a sort of an, an image, right? Um, so there are several steps in, in movie production, right? First, you start with a screenplay, right? So if you need a, you know, on the screenplay stage, right? If you, your producers or you yourself as a director, you realize that, hey, you know, 
I'm making this movie about giant robots fighting each other. And I'm going to need, you know, a couple tanks, a couple helicopters flying by. Now, I can do these things as CGI. I can do them as props, but that's going to cost a lot of money. That's going to cost millions of dollars, potentially. So what I can do is I can go to the Pentagon and say, hey, guys, why don't you, you know, give me access to all this amazing equipment and also give me access to people who can actually operate this amazing equipment and potentially train my actors to work with this amazing equipment, right? Um, and, you know, why don't we, you know, kind of make this movie together? And so what happens is you send your movie to the Pentagon, uh, your, 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 screen, your screenplay to the Pentagon, and then the Pentagon reads the screenplay and they say, huh, you know, here's a bunch of stuff we want to, we want to change. And uh, they always say that. They always want to change. You know, they always want to tweak just a few things. Now, the motivation here is to ensure that they, their motivation, uh, they, they stated motivation, rather, is to ensure that the army, uh, the military, is presented, quote, unquote, accurately. The problem is there were interviews with, you know, people responsible for uh, the sort of the public relations side of the Pentagon. The Pentagon. And uh, the representatives of the Pentagon, they would say in one breath, right, we need to ensure that the military is represented accurately. However, we need to note that any negative portrayal of the military is inherently inaccurate. And I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but it's not uh, too far from the original quote. You can pull it up from my piece. Um, so, yeah, and they always change, you know, if, uh, if the, the military is shown as doing war crimes, if the military is shown as doing something stupid, they want to change that. They, wanna, they want you to tweak that. So let's say you agreed to the changes. If you didn't agree, you know, you're not getting, you're not getting any equipment. That's, that's, that's it. You're done, right? If you, if you did agree, if you did agree to these changes, and these changes can be drastic, we can talk about it later, then you're giving access to the equipment, and you're also given the military miner who is in charge of this, of all this equipment, all these tanks and helicopters that you're going to be getting. And this miner is there on set every day to make sure that the military is portrayed, quote unquote, accurately, right? Because scripts change during production, during principal photography, the active part of film production. Scripts change all the time. So that's why the miner is there to ensure that nothing changes. All right. And then, you know, the final the final part, the, the military obviously still wants to have, uh, you know, some oversight or the final cut. If they don't like the final cut, they can't really prevent the movie from being released, but they can uh, kind of mm, mess with you in, in, in many different ways. So, for example, there was a, a movie called um, Heartbreak Ridge uh, by Clint Eastwood. And uh, it had a scene where an American, an American soldier shot a defenseless and wounded, I think, Cuban soldier, right? So that's, you know, that's a war crime. You can't do that. Um, so the military were like, hey, guys, you know, this scene shouldn't be in it, right? Clint Eastwood still manages to shoot the scene, put it in the final cut. And when the military, you know, they're losing their mind, the Pentagon's losing their mind, they're like, hey, why the hell is the scene still in there? You know, we helped you with all, you know, we gave you all the equipment and stuff. Clintus was like, well, I thought you guys are just doing recommendations. You know, I, thought I don't have to take it out. So he kept it in the final cut. And then the military blocked his movies, blocked his, this, this specific film from being shown in overseas uh, Pentagon theaters 
And if you know how many military bases there are, American military bases there are overseas, that's a lot of theaters. That's, you know, that's a lot of, uh, that's a huge hit uh, to the box office, right? That's a, that's a huge damage. And, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood also wanted to use this, this the premiere of the film as a charity, as a sort of, as a, as a fundraiser for a U.S. Marine Corps charity called Toys for Tots, right? It's literally just a charity that gives toys to orphan children. And the U.S. Marine Corps were like, hell no, hell no. These orphan children's children are not getting, getting the money. They're not because you, you fucked with us. So no, hell no, they said. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's basically it. That's the gist of it. Hey there, Parallax Views listeners. Before we continue our conversation on this edition of Parallax Views, I want to notify California listeners of the program about one of our sponsors, the Therapy Practice of Alexander Yu. Yu is an experienced teletherapist since 2008, and he goes by the motto, Flow, adapt, change, as Lao Tzu would say. And he wants to accompany you on your journey of self-improvement. Now, again, this applies to California listeners of the program. Alexander is a licensed psychotherapist and teletherapist. And if you'd like his services, then please contact him at Alexander U. That's Alexander U Y O O dot com. And he can be reached by email at therapy at Alexander dot com or by phone at three two three eight three four nine eight two eight. That's three two three eight three four nine eight two eight this is only available once again to my california listeners but if you need anything related to therapy needs please be sure to contact our sponsor alexander Yu. And I was going to say, some of the examples you bring up of movies that the Pentagon refused to lend assistance to and the reasons for why are uh, pretty amusing. Apparently, Independence Day, the famous uh, alien sci-fi apocalypse movie, they said, nope, protagonist dates a stripper. Can't have that. Cannot support that. Um, also, I didn't know they, they refused to support the Avengers because apparently they could not ascertain how the group in the movie The Shield uh, would fit into the Pentagon's hierarchy. So That's some right. of the, they, they can get really uh, kind of anal about these things. <laughs> they do, they do, they really do. I mean, the main thing, the, the main thing really is to make sure that the movie is suitable for like teenagers and watchable, but they also get like super, you know, super pricky about like these little, little things. I think in the, one of the Hulk movies, one of the, I think the Ang Lee Hulk movie, they changed, there was like an operation to catch Hulk and they, they changed the name. And it was something innocent like uh, Angry Man and they changed it to Green Man or something like that. It was something really stupid, you know? 
With the Independence Day, actually, I'm glad you brought it up because the thing that the Independence Day franchise shows, right, is that the military is actually really good at learning. So the first Independence Day, Tagging dates a stripper, you know, we can't have Will Smith dating a stripper. No, 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 that's not allowed. The second Independent Day, the one that came up, came out in, uh, I believe, 2016, was it? Um, I might be, I might be wrong. It's like, yeah, 2000, like 2000s, 2010s. Um, they had, you know, they, they collaborated extremely well with the film and the film actually had it had this sort of an advert going on right because the, the plot of the second independence day is that there is a sort of a hyper militarization of the whole planet right and uh, you know they're basically all getting ready to fight the aliens when the aliens come back uh, and so the the movie would they they would as a part of the ad campaign right they would the marketing campaign they would release these fake fake ads to like join the uh, Earth Defenders Corps or something like that right and so once you go on the website because they bought up like the name name you know join the Earth Defenders right it would send you to this like fake website which would also have a link to the U.S. Army careers right there. So, you know, you like explore the careers in U.S. military and then you go there and you, you know, you get to actually enlist. Just, I'm just imagining some like, you know, some, some millennial, the millennial kid who just, you know, wants to kind of like, you know, mess around with that thing. And then he goes in there and thinks, you know, maybe there is some kind of like a, a prize, a lottery, or something like that. <laughs> he ends up signing up for the U.S. Marines or something like that. Just think how. Uh, so how I was I was going to add to that too. Uh, I guess a lot of people will say, "Well, you know what? What's the big deal? I mean, you know, if if uh, a Hollywood movie doesn't want the Pentagon's assistance, they can still make the movies, right?" But that's not always true. And I think you mentioned uh, Ridley Scott's Black Hawk Down in relation to that sort of issue. Yeah. Well, Ridley was actually asked, uh, they, they asked him directly, they were like, hey, Ridley, could you, could you have done this without the military assistance? And he was like, yeah, but you'd have, we would have to have called it Black Huey Down instead of Black Hawk Down, because, you know, the, you, you, you would not have been able to get the helicopter. I mean, you can make a movie without the Pentagon's help, you know, famously Francis Ford Coppola, for example, um, you know, when he was making Apocalypse Now, he couldn't get access to the Pentagon's machinery. And I think he had to go to the Philippines. Um, it was something like that. Some, uh, some, uh, some state in, uh, um, in Asia where it, they basically used this like old U.S. military equipment. And that's where they, he had to get where he had to get all the like the helicopters and the, the planes and stuff like that. Right. Um, so that's you know that's just uh, the kind of uh, the, the the kind of stuff that happens. You really, uh, if you're a big filmmaker, you can probably figure out you know ways around it. I mean, Avengers still happen; they still they still got a lot of money. But if you're a smaller filmmaker, your producers would rather you know uh, make a movie choke full of, uh, of Pentagon propaganda than uh, spend you know extra you know, extra million dollars, right? Yeah, and there are smaller movies that have gotten assistance from the Pentagon. A lot of people don't know that. And, and this this whole thing actually goes back a long ways. You know, um, 
there's been military assistance to even small like B movies going back to, you know, the 70s. So this is a very real phenomena. And also, uh, I did not realize just how much money um, goes into this. I guess with the Iron Man movies, there was over one billion dollars of equipment used or uh, some insane number. Yeah. Military equipment used. So uh, is this costing the taxpayer money? I mean, it has to, right? Because they are using, I mean, it's not even about the taxpayer money per se. Because, uh, I mean, I guess they use an operational equipment. I mean, they, they, they burn fuel every day anyway. anyway. Uh, you know, if you have like an aircraft carrier, for example, and you shoot on an aircraft carrier, um, you know, like it's, the, the thing is still there, right? Whether, you know, whether you film on it or not. Uh, but it definitely, and I mean, to an extent, yes, I would, I would assume it does, right? Because, you know, you have all to pull together all these logistics, you know, to get people from point A to point B. So it's stuff like fuel, stuff like, uh, um, you know, wear and tear, for example, right? If you break something during a shoot and then you have to replace it, that, that obviously going to cost expert money. But the, the, the thing that I'm more concerned with is, you know, time, right? Because, you know, assuming that the military is there to protect the United States from all true enemies, foreign and domestic, right? Uh, the military kind of has to, you know, do that in, instead of uh, in, instead of helping the, the, the uh, instead of helping Hollywood to pump out more uh, propaganda to get you know kids to join them. So, I want to ask about tr- that in particular. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we have any evidence that? you know, this Pentagon Hollywood relationship has helped with recruitment. I think you mentioned uh, Captain Marvel mm-hmm. in particular with regards to this question. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's hard to, to prove uh, causal relations, uh, relationship every now and then because, you know, there is not a lot of statistic gathering on that. At least I don't, I don't know if there's any data gathering on that because people kind of don't care. People don't really know that much about it. Uh, but, you know, you can say just anecdotally, right? Uh, after Captain Marvel film came out, which was very much, you know, the, the what was that? Stars and Stripes or something else. Uh, the 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 the, uh, the Marvel, the Captain Marvel film. It was called, you know, the dream ad for uh, for Air Force, right? And the year it came out, right after it came out the female uh, recruitment to the Air Force, it, you know, it skyrocketed. It went, it went through the roof, just absolutely through the roof. So, you know, that's, that's the kind of stuff that happens with Top Gun, for example, right? right? You know, remember that with like Tom Cruise walking around being all sexy. They, the Navy, I think it was the Navy, I might be wrong, but anyway, the military, one, one of the branches of the military, they set up, recruitment booths recruitment stalls in the movie theaters <laughs> right next to the movie theaters they're literally you know you, you go out you watch you look at you look at tom cruise and you walk out and you're like want to kill some people in the middle east come right in yeah <laughs> you know and right, also so. i i was gonna say this isn't just limited to the pentagon i i didn't know about this beforehand but apparently marvel has also worked with um arms manufacturers like um 
Northrop Grumman. And uh, also yeah. there's like the CIA has management that does work too. Go on. Right. So no, no, no. That's great. Great for bringing good. Good for bringing up. So with the arms manufacturers, uh, actually, when I was doing research on that, I thought there would be more, uh, because you know Marvel literally made, uh, <laughs> you know, an, an arms profiteer who an arms profiteer multimillionaire into one of the main protagonists, which is the weirdest thing ever. Because if you think about you know Iron Man as a character, like he should be a villain. He's literally if you just described him. Is literally a bond villain, but, but he's not for some reason. Anyway, um, so I thought there would be more of that when I was looking into that. But the the Northrop Grumman thing that was actually kind of like a one off thing, and that's not Marvel Studios. That's Marvel as you know as a comic uh, as as a comic producer, right? Um, and they were they wanted to release, and that's like back in late 2010s. Uh, they wanted to release a uh, uh, like a comic series, which would specifically focus on like promoting Northrop Grumman. Uh, I'm butchering the name, but it's one of the largest uh, one of the largest uh, arms manufacturers in the United States. Um, <laughs> and so they announced this. And then people on Twitter went absolutely apeshit. Like the fans were like, what the hell are you doing? What the actual hell are you doing, you guys? Why, why do we have, you know, our beloved superheroes, whatever, uh, collaborating with the, with the disgusting war profiteers? So they canceled it. I think within like hours of announcement, they, they announced it, then they immediately canceled it. That, so that that's, just, yeah. that blows my mind. It's not, they're not, they yeah. weren't even working uh, with them on a movie. It was a comic book. <laughs> right. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the fans, you know, they did a great job here in terms of showing, you know, um, you know, giving this this resolute response to uh, uh, to to Marvel's attempts to collaborate with war profiteering industry. And uh, this this actually, you know, this goes back to. You know, this kind of stuff is really like this, this sort of relationship, it's really, I guess, it, it, it's it's afraid of sunlight is what I'm trying to say. You know, the more light you shine on it, the uh, the, the harder it will get for you know the Pentagon to uh, to push propaganda on Americans. Essentially, um, there there's this guy. Uh, his name is David Robb, and he wrote a great book called Operation Hollywood. Where I wanted to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so he details all of this. And there is, you know, if you don't want to read the whole book, there is a great interview with him on Mother Jones. And uh, he basically explains, you know, he, his argument, he says that, you know, if we had like 50 people writing to the congressman, right, that would all be solved tomorrow, right? So he's, he's extremely optimistic on how little effort it would take to kind of, if not necessarily bring this parasitic relationship down, but to kind of put a dent in it. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not as optimistic as he is, uh, but um, you know, there, it, it, the Marvel example, the, the, the Grumman example, it really shows that you can have this, especially now with the age of Twitter and Facebook, you have this ocean of fans just being really pissed off and that really, that really, really, really makes a difference. 
I'm glad you also got to mention uh, the CAA working with Hollywood on mm-hmm. Zero Dark Thirty, because I remember I was having flashbacks as I read that portion of the article, uh, because I remember seeing that movie in theaters with a friend. And I remember walking out of the theater just so angry. I was like, oh, it's just pro-torture propaganda. Um, so you have different agencies involved in all of this. Right. Yeah. Well, the CIA, the, the Zero Dark Thirty thing was really a sort of like a unique relationship. So with the Pentagon, with the military, there is like a formalized relationship that was formalized. I want to say after the Second World War. So before the Second World War, you had and during World War Two, obviously, you had uh, all these like propaganda movies being turned, uh, being, being being made uh in in this collaboration right and after that it kind of got formalized more and more and more all right but with the zero dark 30 that's actually a very interesting case because they even had to launch like the cia had to launch uh internal ethics review you know looking into like all the stuff that the agents have said and it seems that the producers of zero dark 30 they had like a personal relationship with people in the CIA. So they would, you know, they would give them like expensive gifts and such, you know, they would talk, they would be like buddy, buddy, you know, buddy, buddy with them. And they were invited. I think uh, uh, a Zero Dark Thirty producer was <laughs> invited on a um, on an off the record uh, secret um, conference within the CIA uh, like a secret event within the CIA that required secu- security clearance to join, and he didn't have that security clearance. But you know, he still he still ended up there. So, what's interesting to me, you said you're not as optimistic. Why is that? Just out of curiosity. I mean, the zero dark thirty is a good example, right? I mean, this stuff kind of happened uh, under the radar very much, and I think with the Pentagon, because the Pentagon is just so powerful in American politics and it needs young blood so much. It really needs to like suck in as many young American kids as it can. The Pentagon probably won't let it go. If this relationship is, you know, somehow destroyed or, you know, let's say there is a because another argument that people make is that this is unconstitutional, right? This relationship is unconstitutional. You can't favor one type of speech over another as a government agency. So let's say this relationship is maintained, but it's fixed in a way that, you know, maybe there is some kind of civilian oversight committee, right? Where you can have, uh, you know, movies which are both critical of the Pentagon and propagandistic in a way both of them could be supported by the Pentagon. But I think that, you know, the, the military would still find informal ways of influencing, of influence in Hollywood. And I mean, this stuff can be done through something as simple as advisors. You know, if you watch a military film, like a war film, um, there is always going to be like a, an advisor, you know, somebody who who kind of, you know, talks to the director and, you know, he, here's how it really was, right? And so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of how it happened on Zero Dark Thirty, right? These people were, uh, the, the, the CIA people they, they told with were informal advisors, basically. And so you can have similar scenarios happen with the Pentagon, even after this sort of formalized relationship is dismantled or fixed. 
So it's interesting too. I wanted to ask you about this and I know it's kind of speculative, but you know, Hollywood has gone sort of much more international. You know, it's not just about selling to an American audience anymore. Do you think that could change the game a little? Because I'm assuming in other countries, uh, they may look at, you know, these films and be like, what what do I care about this American military propaganda? It could even turn people off, I'm assuming, in other countries. Yeah, well, I mean, it doesn't really. I mean, if you look at the Transformers box office, like it was making mad bang everywhere around the world right i mean people loved it in russia for example uh, you know i remember i remember i was in russia when one of the transformers uh movies came out um and um yeah um you know it was it was very popular it was on top of the charts um so yeah people you don't really care and you know this this is the part of i guess american soft power right it's this projection of american military values what i think is interesting in terms of hollywood getting more international is you know let's say hollywood i mean because we already have instances where hollywood is cutting its its movies in accordance to what you know, Chinese censors want. So for example, I think the third Iron Man, it had like a whole scene cut out of it so that, you know, the Chinese censor was sort of allow it to play something, something like that. I, I was going to say the, the one I remember is, uh, you know, there was that Red Dawn remake from a few years ago where they were going to have yeah. China as the villain. And, and, you know, they're like, oh, this, this may actually not be good for our Chinese audiences. So they digitally altered the flag to like a North Korean flag. That's right. Yeah, they had North Koreans instead. And, uh, you know, there are all these, I mean, you know, there is like, like this, this freaking John Cena apologizing to the CCP. Uh, and, you know, that, that, like that kind of stuff. Or what's, what's his name? Terry Crews. Yeah, Terry Crews apologizing, uh, apologizing to the People's Republic of China. Uh, so there is this willingness on the part of Hollywood to kind of just work for the highest bidder, really. And you, we could probably see in the coming future, right, uh, in, in the coming years, a blockbuster made in a collaboration with, say, the PLA, you know. And there is, you know, I don't, like, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these people who says, oh, my God, this is, you know, we shouldn't allow this because China is a new, the new Soviet Union, and therefore it's a, an empire of evil. But I think, in general, having the Pentagon be so willing to just, you know, work with the military without, with any military really, with American military, and you know, probably in the future, if we don't change the trend with the the Chinese military, right? Um, you know that's it's it's a bad thing in and of itself. It's a bad thing in and of itself that that Hollywood isn't willing to kind of look into its ethics and uh, you know avoid uh, pushing uh, pushing propaganda onto people. So before closing out here, I just wanted to ask: Was there anything uh, that you researched for this article that maybe didn't make it into the piece itself that maybe my listeners would find interesting? Right. Uh, I think, I mean, I think the main thing really is David Robb's book. I think that is probably the most, the best account of this stuff that exists. And it's, uh, it's from early 2000s. I think it's from 2004. Uh, but it's still, it's still a really good book. He's a great journalist. Um, 
so yeah, if you want to, if you want to learn more about this, just, uh, you know, look him up and, uh, buy the book and read the book. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's the best kind of additional reading, uh, on that. Well, I would highly recommend that book as well. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, Operation Hollywood. Um, so how can my listeners keep up with your work? Just uh, responsible statecraft? Are you on Twitter or anything like that? Right. So, yeah, uh, you could follow me on Twitter uh, or on Instagram where I post my photos because I'm also a photojournalist. And so if you're interested in seeing, you know, what's going on in all the uh, you know, all the kind of protest spots around the world, you know, I, I post pictures, my own pictures from Belarus or uh, the UK or Russia or Hong Kong, really wherever I am, right? Everything pertaining to like protest and conflict. Uh, and also, of course, Twitter, where, you know, all kinds of text-based stuff goes. And so both of these are Sadeliev underscore David, uh, so my, my last name and then my first name. Well, thank you again for coming on mm-hmm. Parallax Views. Of course. Well, that does it for this edition of Parallax Views. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with David Sevilla. Be sure to check out his work at Responsible Statecraft, the official publication of our friends at the Quincy Institute. Also, if you appreciate the work I do here at Parallax Views, as always, please, please, please consider supporting me at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. That's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. There's everything from a $1 tier to a $100 tier, a $5, $10, and $15 tier in between. And if you support me at the tiers and above, you'll get a little bit of bonus content each month, at least one episode or a few archived editions of previous Parallax Views programs that are now only available on the Patreon. So you'll get that at the $5 tiers and above. And at the $10 and $15 tiers, you get a producer's credit shout out, which leads us to the producer's credit shout outs for... Mark, Arlen, Spartacus, Gunner, Ed, Gratz, James, Mickey, Brian, The Warner, The 42 Group, Nick, Emilia, Chase, Chris, Orc, Black Tuna, Nathan, David, Holland, Martin, Stu, and Jeffrey. If you'd like your very own producer's credit on each and every edition of Parallax Views, well, consider joining those listeners in supporting me at the $10 tier or above at patreon.com slash parallaxviews. Again, that's patreon.com slash parallaxviews. And also, I have to plug the fine folks at antiwar.com. They're currently in their fundraising season, so if you can, try to support them as well at antiwar.com slash donate. And with that being said, Until next time, you've been listening to Parallax Views with Parallax Views to Parallax Views with The way out is not simply to say don't do it, just to prohibit. It's nothing else. If we don't do it, others will be doing it like crazy. So you know we have to confront 
the problem. But no, basically, basically, I'm, I know of the great anxiety problems, new forms of control, but it's also new forms of freedom. This is why I always emphasize that uh, uh, internet and all this new digital stuff is a very ambiguous phenomenon, but it's the field of struggle. New forms of enslavement, but at the same time, new incredible forms of freedom. We have to accept the fight with no nostalgia for old, allegedly more authentic communities or whatever. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.